A consummate athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hey, Peter. How's it going? It is going well. Happy to be here. <laughs> yes, beautiful, balmy Ontario in May. Yep. Yeah, we've definitely had some snow, which is always good. But yep, uh, yep. yeah, otherwise it's it's good. Yeah, we've been running around and doing all sorts of, of things. Yeah, I think so today's, today's episode is sort of all about this idea of like virtual running and virtual racing, or at least it's that's kind of a bit of where we're going to go with it. And I, I've been really intrigued by this whole virtual running community. And I mean, I guess virtual racing in general. I mean, we just had Tim Rugg on last week talking about his uh, virtual ride across basically the U.S. on Zwift Island. Um, and today we have my friend, my new friend Liz Warner on to talk about her uh, foundation Run to Reach and then also her plan to do a virtual marathon May 24th with people around the world. Yeah, it's pretty impressive how resilient humans are, right? We're we're all struggling, we're all getting by, but some of the, you know, the pivots, the the new inventions, the new, you know, just how do we motivate ourselves into these things, right? And some of the stuff like Tim's riding for 2 weeks indoors just seems mind-boggling, right? But is inspiring I think when we're thinking about smaller, you know, simply just getting out and doing something each day, right? And and finding a why. So Liz's example is amazing too yeah it's been really interesting talking to different people you know like what what works for different people isn't going to work for everyone as far as motivation right now you know for for me this idea of doing this virtual marathon with liz on may 24th like that's exciting to me and i'm really looking forward to that um i i will actually do like the full marathon distance that day although anyone can do any distance that's kind of her her idea of this is just get people running kind of quote unquote with her since she obviously can't do a marathon in real life. But then it's it's interesting seeing, you know, what my other friends are sort of really excited about right now, whether it's going for, re, you know, really small Strava segments and like really specific Strava segments or some of them are like making new Strava segments and then just like challenging each other on them. Right. Um, yeah, it's been really cool to see what people are actually motivated by, I guess. Yeah. And I think in Liz's example, being able to, you know, she's in that last year of her, her 30 by 30, right? Yeah. So she actually turns 30 in early June and her goal was to run 30 marathons before the age of 30, uh, all trying to raise money for a bunch of different, really cool women's organizations all around the world who are, you know, doing things to support women in small business and, um, yeah, just all kinds of really great causes. Uh, yeah. And, you know, obviously that plan got curtailed, but to kind of try to take take lemons and turn them into lemonade. Yeah, and I think it's useful for all of us, right? As we as we work through having goals changed and canceled and whatever, right? And and finding meaning and you know it's all sort of arbitrary anyhow, right? Um, regardless of what you're doing. Uh, so I think hearing examples like this and Catherine Pendrell's Olympic uh, goals, you know, getting shifted, right? So I think it's useful hearing the stories and how people hash through these and, and again, find, you know, in, uh, inventive ways to, to keep moving, right. And to keep, you know, get those goals just in a slightly different way. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, well, let's let's dive in. Enjoy this interview with Liz Warner of Run to Reach. Liz, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Hello. Um, I'm so excited to get to talk to you. Um, how are you handling life in lockdown right now? You're in Paris, so you're kind of really in where it's pretty tight and locked down. <laughs> yes, the rules, the restrictions are pretty strict here. We are not allowed to leave the house um, between 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, there I know in Spain, you're still not only allowed to leave the house at all. So, you know, I still feel like it's a bit of a privilege to at least go out for a quick run at 7 p.m. I mean, you can imagine, too, that everyone leaves their house at 7. So sometimes I'm like, <laughs> is this actually an effective rule they're enforcing? Um, there are police everywhere, and you have to carry specific forms sort of um, – you know, letting them know the reason why you're leaving your house and, you know, that it's like all um, QR generated codes that you have to show them. It's like quite high tech and, and pretty serious here. But but I mean, I'm, I'm hanging in there for sure. So what does training look like right now for you? I want to get into like what training would look like before all of this and everything. But yeah. how are you handling that with two marathons left to go in your ambitious goal? Yeah, of course. Um, I'm doing quite a lot of home workouts so and it's actually interesting because I feel like the past year I haven't done that much strength training and so I'm really trying to focus on that to get my body strong in different ways and uh, but otherwise you know I'm allowed to we're allowed to exercise for an hour a day here in France still so I go usually for my you know, 10 to 12 K runs every day and then just try to do a strength training workout on the side but uh, but before this lockdown, um, I was, you know, a normal, typical training week would be like 100 Ks um, in total. And I do, I stretch a lot. So I do feel like that's um, sort of the reason why I haven't or I've been lucky enough to not get injured during mm -hmm. this whole mission. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> okay, and let's let's back up. The mission is thirty yes. marathons before you turn thirty. Um, now you have to explain when you started this project, how many marathons you were at, how it's yes. <laughs> where you're at so far. Of course. So I came up with the idea of Run to Reach. It was during my honeymoon, September 2018, <laughs> and I had already run eight marathons actually up until that point. And uh, I decided that, you know, I was going to squeeze in two other marathons um, in a span of a couple months. And then my project run to reach is actually the final 20 marathons and in 20 different countries. And in each country that I'd be running the marathon in, I carefully selected uh, a local women empowerment nonprofit in that country to support and raise awareness about. And so, you know, my trips going to these countries, of course, would be to go and run the marathon. But the main purpose of the trip would be to go and meet the NGO and um, the people working there, of course, and shine light on the work that they do. So um, so that's really the main like driver and purpose behind this whole project. 
Now, most people, when they decide they want to do some kind of running for charity, just sort of pick a charity marathon and get on with it. You started a nonprofit called Run to Reach. Um, yes. That's a pretty hefty undertaking. What made you yes. want to do that instead of, you know, the more traditional route? You know, I think I was at a point of transition in my life where I felt a bit stagnated by my career path and just ready to jump into some sort of high wattage adventure um, that would change my life and hopefully others along the way too. You know, it's really run to reach. It's it's just about combining my two passions, running and traveling together and, you know, trying to really put a positive dent on our world in some you know, big or small way. And for me, you know, I'm working with this project, I'm working with 20 different organizations. And so it's also, you know, an incredible opportunity to learn about so many different issues and to really go to these countries and, and, you know, meet with local people, learn about what's going on there and really, you know, sink my teeth into um, just issues there and really inspiring people that are doing incredible work there too. Mm-hmm. So backing way, way up, like pre okay. first marathon, what yes. is your athletic background? Like, were you a runner as a kid or is this, this old, uh, you know, later in life marathoning? Yeah. So I grew up playing the sport squash, okay. which is sort of like racquetball. It's, um, it's not really well known in, in the U.S., where I'm from, but my father played it in college and just got me, my brother, and my sister in playing it all my life, basically. I traveled for tournaments for squash and played squash university. And then um, I just hit a pretty big burnout period with squash. And I honestly, I was the captain of um, the varsity team in college my senior year, and I just, I quit. I was, I was done with the sport. And then my father actually passed away around this time and that's when I picked up running and I had just moved to Japan. It was right after graduating uh, university. I signed up for a full marathon, <laughs> never really. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I had ran a, um, I did run a half a year before, but again, I, I never really considered myself a runner. It was sort of like, oh, you know, I, at the time I was sort of a, um, a, you know, I just graduated college. I had sort of an entry level job and running a marathon. I didn't have to pay money to go to a gym. So just like a good way to stay in shape. And it also really helped me get through this difficult time in my life following my father's death. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of how I fell into running originally. And I mean, clearly you picked it up pretty, I don't know if it was easy, but you obviously did pretty well at it. Um, most of your marathons, I think, like you're finishing like sub four hours. You're you're not just like yeah. putzing your way through them or anything. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's funny because you know, up until this day, I I don't wear a watch. I um, for me, running is really purely therapeutic, and you know, I really try to focus on making running as mindful as possible and sort of it's become almost meditative for me mm-hmm. all this time. But yeah, I mean, there. I think, you know, running at least a marathon or two per year, I've definitely felt 
you know, like I was getting stronger and faster over time. And I loved, again, because I don't really wear a watch, I don't really know how fast I'm running. I can, it's enabled me to also listen to my body better. And, you know, I, I know when to really pick things up and to, um, so yeah, I mean, to go back to your original point, I, you know, I'm not a very, very fast runner, but I, I enjoy also going at like a, a reasonable pace for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that kind of answers the the question I wanted to ask about how you're staying healthy while going for all of these marathons. Um, it's a lot of wear and tear, but it sounds like you have a pretty yes. intuitive connection like with your body and with what it needs. Yes. I mean, again, I, d I really don't know. I get this answer question a lot as to how I've been um, able to not get injured over all these marathons. And I really strongly believe that stretching at least for at least an hour a day has helped tremendously. Um, but, you know, I do, I feel like I definitely have a pinched nerve in my right hand string that's not going away now. So the wear and tear is definitely, you know, it's, it's there. And, uh, but you know, it's, I feel like I've also, I'm a very clumsy person. So throughout this whole past year, I'm like, you know, it's just going to take falling down. Uh, some stairs or tripping on something <laughs> that's just going to end everything for me. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really, you know, I, I think it's funny. I'm really not good at many other different sports. Like I tried swimming, I tried biking. I'm really bad at, at most other sports. And so with running, I just feel like maybe my, my body is just really made for it. And, um, you know, again, I think I, especially with the last, um, I ran 16 marathons last year and I was not by any means going for any, you know, personal record at any of these races. So I think also, you know, slowing down a bit and, you know, not making it very competitive over the past year for me has definitely also made a difference. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a hundred K week though is still like a pretty hefty training week. So in that, are you doing sort of the traditional like long run and then like shorter runs? Are you doing any workouts? Like what is, what does running actually look like week to week? Yeah. Um, Definitely some, because I think it also depends on, you know, some days you just have a really busy day and you can't squeeze in a two hour run. But mm -hmm. I think on the weekends, um, I definitely would love to, you know, usually Sundays are my day for like a lot of people for my run, my long runs. Um, so I'd really try to carve out two to three hours that I could just go out and go for as many miles as possible um, during that period. And uh, but otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm terrible. I just like also like other runners, I don't really enjoy doing strength training workouts, but I know it's really, really important. So occasionally, you know, I have a subscription to these online workout classes. So I try to do at least a few of those a week. Mm -hmm. But for me also, you know, running 100Ks a week, it was also about building up my mental endurance. Sure. And I would also, for example, just go to the park next door and do like, you know, 30 loops just and which Ooh. was, you know, it's, it's not the most exciting. But I think that's when you actually build up, you know, that that endurance and just um, making sure that you can take on any sort of because when you would enter a race or any race, it would just feel so exciting. And so you'd have so much more energy for that race because you sort of went through this grueling, like boring uh, park run. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, yeah, that's sort of how I would 
figure out all my different trainings. <laughs> I love that. Um, so yeah. many people hate the monotonous thing, but I, I'm yes. actually like the queen of boring out and backs. Yeah. Like, I love them. I have no idea why, but for whatever really? reason, I'm just, yeah, the more monotonous, the better in a lot of ways for wow. me. <laughs> what, do you think it's because it allows you to get into a certain sort of like mind flow or? I think so. Just, I don't know. Yeah. It's easier for me to kind of just get into the groove with it and honestly like partially just know what's coming on the way back to be totally honest yes yes <laughs> yes 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 i can relate to that yeah yeah so when you're running do you listen to podcasts or music or do you actually make yourself do just in your own head it's funny lately the past few weeks since you know being on lockdown i've been trying to run without music since i know we're only allowed to like i mentioned before leave um the house for an hour mm -hmm. so i've been really trying to to go without music and that's a whole um new challenge for me but no normally i do listen to music i tried listening to podcasts but i just i could tell that i would lose focus one minute in and i would just be listening to my thoughts mm -hmm. instead so so yeah normally i just listen to music and it's pretty like even for most of the races i would always listen to music as well mm -hmm. um okay so with all of your marathons we have to talk about yes. what's what has the best marathon experience been so far that's really tough. It really feels like choosing between children. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the marathon that I think, I mean, the one travel experience I think that really, really changed me was going to Afghanistan. And uh, there's a marathon there that takes place every October. Only, I think there are only 20 international runners that, that went. Um and it was just, it was such a beautiful race. It was over, it was in this national park there and it almost looked like the Grand Canyon. It was just these huge towering canyons and, and then these, you know, turquoise lakes that were sort of sprinkled throughout the park. And it was just beautiful. And it also just felt surreal to be running in this country that is so often, you know, um, thought to be this very dangerous place. And it, it just was a very peaceful race and I was also running alongside 45 Afghan women runners who oh, cool. um, yeah and it, so with that marathon too I was partnering with this one organization called Free to Run and they actually provide safe spaces for Afghan women to participate in sport because actually in Afghanistan it's very very taboo for for women to to even go outside openly for a run. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, so that was really powerful to see all these Afghan women running this full marathon distance. And uh, yeah, it just was an overall beautiful race, but also just incredibly meaningful and um, transformative all around. Oh, that's so cool. I used to uh, I used to do some work with uh, a group called Afghan Cycles that was sort of similar, okay. but just getting women on bikes and so starting cool. sort of like the first Afghan women's team and that experience, like just, you know, hearing about some of that and like helping kind of get some gear over to them and stuff was one of the coolest experiences. Wow, that's uh, so awesome. And so that's, that's the best. We have yeah. to, we have to get into the worst marathon experience. <laughs> The worst marathon experience. Um, I definitely think the toughest marathon mentally. I did one um, in Somaliland early February. And this race, it was like 35 degrees. And because it's a pretty 
conservative country in Somaliland, um, I had to be fully covered, which is not really a big, big deal, but it definitely, it made it tough. And then um, the marathon itself was just on this one desert road. So for 40, you know, 26 miles, 42 kilometers, it was just going straight down this road and it was just desert on both sides. And so it just was really tough to you know, sort of really pushed through that. It was just really, really hot. And they did have a lot of aid stations with water. So that was, it was more than fine. Um, I didn't actually feel like I was in danger, not getting enough water or anything, but just, it was a mentally very tough marathon. Mm-hmm. Hey, Peter, what does a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach do? Well, Molly, let me tell you, I work with busy people that want to do big, crazy adventures. You know, these are people who have kids, they have families, they have all sorts of work stuff they got to do, but they have big goals. They maybe want to do a big mountain bike race, 100 miler, something like Dirty Kanza. They might just want to keep up on the group ride. And all these things are really, really cool adventures and really good breaks from all the other stuff we have going on in our, in our busy lives, right? So I help people do that. And so I really like programming and finding ways that we can fit movement into their lives. Sometimes that involves, you know, consultation around movement or trying to work through some sort of injury. Uh, And sometimes it's just dealing with, you know, fitting stuff in and getting the work done. So that's what I do. I I coach and I build training plans. And, you know, that's, that's what a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach does in my case. And how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in in chatting with you? You're on the Consummate Athlete podcast. You go to consummateathlete.com. You can find coaching links on that website. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. Um, and I did notice um, on some some about you stuff, you, you had food yeah. poisoning seven different times over yes. the course of this. <laughs> yes, that was that was an issue. But, you know, I, I love I think one of the most exciting parts about, you know, all these going to all these countries was definitely trying all the food. So I would not hold back. So all of those, you know, the food poisoning episodes, it was probably my fault and also my stupidity of like trying street food or or something like that and you know a lot of times too I just think I'd be bouncing around so many different places at during any one month and my stomach would just be like oh like we are just switching so many different waters and Mm -hmm. um, so it was mostly that but yeah there were actually a few races that you know (laughs) I felt bad I was running with friends and maybe every half kilometer I would just have to stop and like, be like I'm so sorry and like I hope you're not running for a time because this is like a little bit painful so yeah that was di- but it's you know it's, it's all part of the experience and if yeah. I never got food poisoning I'd be like that is just a little bit strange you know yeah absolutely I was actually gonna say what's yeah what's like the strangest thing that you have had to eat at an aid station during these races <sighs> strangest thing uh, I don't actually think there have been any like really strange foods. Um, some interesting ones, like I remember I was handed out a whole um, potato, like someone just baked potatoes and just like handed them out the race. And like it's a, it was a great snack. It was I think mm-hmm. it was in Zimbabwe, but um, other snacks, I mean, dates were always handed out. In Madagascar, they were just they at each aid station, there was just a big bag of sugar. <laughs> And so people were just putting their hands in this big bag of sugar and like shoving it in their mouth. That was like oh a little bit gosh. interesting. Um, 
I did a race in Malaysia and they were handing out like choco pies, which are like these disgusting, like very heavily processed um, kind of like chocolate pies, exactly what their name is, um, which was kind of funny. But uh, but yeah, overall, the, the snacks have been pretty neutral, thankfully, thankfully. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot of those were actually more like in the whole food side of things, right? Like even white sugar, yes. like compared to yes. gels and stuff, it's... That's true. That's true. I very, I would prefer sugar over gels, I think. I, absolutely. In a lot of cases. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So actually, that leads me to the fueling question that I meant to ask before is, I mean, yes. you're training a lot. You're traveling a lot. I, and like, I yes. know how ridiculous travel can get as far as eating and eating healthy goes. Uh, and you're racing yes. a lot. How are you handling all of the, the fuel needs for that? It's tough. I mean, I think the first couple of marathons at the beginning of last year, I was much more um, mindful of what I was eating. And for example, whenever I come home to Paris, this like shows how little bit obsessive compulsive I am. Um, I would make a lot of like energy bars and bring them with me on the trips. I would make sure I'd bring certain foods with me just in case. You know, I mean, for example, I, I landed in Western Sahara and I was staying with um, a refugee family, which was an amazing, amazing experience. But like most of the meals that they were serving there was they was serving camel meat, and which was absolutely fine with me. I, you know, I'm was more than open to, to eating any sort of food, but I just, you know, especially before a marathon, yeah. I wanted to try <laughs> to avoid at all costs to just be eating some strange food. So you know, but I think over time, I just had to get less picky. And I had to get a few more cases of food poisoning, just because I didn't have the chance to always come back to Paris, or, you know, I would be staying with a family, and they would be serving me food. And, you know, I, I would be so grateful for them even hosting me. So of course, I was going to eat their food. And I think over time, too, I've developed like a stomach of steel. And so <laughs> towards the end of the year, I was like, nothing was really I was drinking the local water. Like I, I really felt like um, I got to a point where any fuel was good fuel. Mm-hmm. Now, now that you're home and can actually control your, your fueling, do you have any yes. like food principles or philosophies that you, you go with? Yeah, it's actually, it's been the one really nice thing um, about being home, but I definitely stick to a mostly plant-based diet. I love, I mean, just, I, you know, anything, any dinner I prepare, I try to have as many colors as possible on my plate. Um, I'm baking a lot these days, but, you know, I bake from this one amazing cookbook that's all really healthy kind of power bars that use a lot of, you know, nuts and you know, like healthy um, type of superfoods. And uh, that's normally my my diet when I'm home. But I mean, like, I, I love going out to eat. I love drinking wine. Like, I'm not, you know, as restrictive as probably some runners might be. I mean, but, you're in uh, Paris. Yeah. How could you possibly yeah. not love going out and <laughs> yeah, drinking exactly, wine? Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but when I am cooking at home, it's it's mostly like healthy salads and, um, and mostly plant-based mm-hmm. uh, recipes that I cook up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the one thing I noticed actually about 
eating and going out for drinks and stuff in Europe is it's so much slower and more relaxed than like going out to eat in the States. So I do feel like when you go to a restaurant in in Paris or, you know, when we were in Girona these past few months, like sitting down, you know, you're there for a couple hours and like sipping your glass of wine, not like chugging it at happy hour. (laughs) No, absolutely. And it's just, I mean, I can't speak for other European countries, but I know the French themselves too. Like they just see food so differently. Like they don't calorie count or like they really, you know, each meal is very, very important to them and they don't, they don't really snack as well. So, and I think that's also really changed my whole outlook on food too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I know it was sort of the same for me. We were over in Spain for three and a half months in this past uh, block here and wow. yeah like coming home I'm like oh yeah I've no I'm really no longer snacking or anything like that yes yeah and it makes such a big difference and it just makes every meal so much more enjoyable um yeah and that's just again going back I mean I grew up in the U.S. and I feel like my whole life it was you know counting each and every calorie or at least you know every advertisement was sort of pushing everyone to do that and it's mm-hmm. just I just don't personally feel like that's the way to go about it no, so no absolutely yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then okay the other question I have for someone who travels all the time and is traveling yes. to races what's in your yes. like you must have gear bag like what what comes with you everywhere so it's funny I'm a very minimalist runner and that I just don't, I get this question a lot too. I don't really carry that many, you know, gadgets or for every race, I literally bring my running sneakers. I have um, a running belt just so I can put my phone in it and um, a few energy gels. I, one of my sponsors is this great um, natural energy gel called Huma. So I always travel with a bunch of them with me to all these countries and, um, and my headphones. <laughs> That's really all I need for, for each of my races. Um, I have, you know, a few outfits that I just recycle as well. So, and normally I, I mean, I would check in a bag um, when I would be traveling to all these places, but I do carry a little backpack with me that I have all these things just in case my bag were to get lost or anything. But yeah, like I said, I really just don't use that many, you know, gadgets or all these other, um, I guess, gear that maybe some other runners use for their marathons. I love love that, though. I mean, that's what I love about running, coming from sort of like a a cyclist background where, I mean, bikes bikes require a lot of gear. There's there's no getting around it. Um, And highly specific clothing and stuff like that. What I love about running is even if it's cold out, all you have to do is like, oh, I have this ratty old sweatshirt lying around. I guess I can throw that on. And now I've got layers and you're out the door. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. No, it's running is amazing for that. Yeah. And I have to ask, do you know what kind of belt you're using for your phone? Because I have such a hard time finding a good belt to run with. <laughs> I, I would have to look. <laughs> but I'm actually going to like where I normally keep all my things. I think I just ordered this belt off of Amazon. Um, it was nothing special, but I agree with you. I hate when they slip down. And this one especially, it's a bit thicker. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's quite tight. 
I don't get the name in our group. You'll have to find me the name so I can put it in the show notes and also get one for myself because I end up wearing like a full-on hydration vest anytime I need to carry anything because I hate how belts. For me, they should either slide down or ride up. There's they never stay where they're supposed to. Um, It's the worst when they do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So for someone who's thinking about kind of getting into running or starting to train for a marathon, doing their first race, what's sort of some of the best advice you would, I mean, even give to your younger self now? Yes. I think I would tell my younger self that, um, you know, I think for your first marathon, it should not be about a time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're obviously, you know, an experienced runner before your first marathon, sure, go for it. But I think a lot of people who are really, you know, running a marathon is a very big deal. So I think just, again, focusing on building your mental endurance. And when you when you are planning to go for that long training run, to just, you know, focus on just going that extra mile and, and not necessarily going for any particular pace, because that just adds an extra pressure to it. And I've actually I have several friends who have, you know, planned to, to run a marathon with me as their first marathon. And, um, and they just get really stressed out because they sort of add all these extra pressures onto themselves, like getting a good time. And, and it's just, for me, it's like just, you know, when you have a 15 mile training run, do that training run, but then add an extra mile or two miles afterwards, just to continue to push yourself and build your mental endurance that way. And, you know, then over time you'll build confidence and at that point you can go faster at the next race. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just, it's building confidence and building your mental endurance and just knowing, you know, being confident that you can take on that distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, and then let's, let's kind of shift gears and talk more about run to reach. I mean, yes, you've had a bit of a, a bit of a hurdle here. You, yes. you, we were talking about this before we turned on a recording here. You were in Yemen when everything's kind of started to go into lockdown. Um, so yes. can you tell everyone just kind of like how that went for you? And I mean, what oh getting home gosh. and I mean, even <laughs> getting home and looking at the next couple months felt like. Yeah, it was an insane experience. So for Marathon 28, yes, I went to this very isolated remote uh, island called Socotra off of Yemen. And um, we went there. I was with a group of other, like 20 other runners. And we did the race. There's only one flight per week to and from Socotra via Cairo. And um, we were maybe like four days into our trip there. Like I said, we had just run the race, thankfully. And we got notified um, that they, the health officials on the island were kicking all the tourists off. Um, I should also mention, too, that during this time, we didn't have any, there was no internet connection. Um, so we had no idea what was going on. I actually luckily had a satellite phone with me so occasionally every few days I was calling my my husband and my mom and they were sort of like oh my god all hell is breaking loose (laughs) so I sort of had like a you know slight indication of what was happening outside but um yeah so we we left the island we were actually on mainland Yemen for 
a total of like 14 hours just sitting in the airport. And it was a little bit scary because, again, the communication, we had no idea really what was going on. We had no idea if we were going to be able to leave mainland Yemen because they were there were rumors that they were closing the airspace in Egypt. It was a huge mess. Um, as soon as I landed, we finally got back to Cairo. I turned on my phone my husband was immediately calling me as soon as I turned on my phone to tell me that there was going to be a travel ban in France and that I had 12 hours to get back to, to Paris before oh, they also gosh. closed the border. So it was just, it was a crazy, you know, race to get home. And, and I think, yeah, it was just mayhem in the airports, of course, changing flights. I mean, I know that you went through something similar, Molly, and in <laughs> in Spain, um, but yeah, it was just, it was a surreal experience. And I think, you know, before I went to Yemen, I knew that there is a chance that everything was sort of going to explode. And I was also a little bit nervous I was going to get stuck in Egypt. Um, and I was really happy to have not gotten stuck in Egypt yeah. uh, coming back from there. But but yeah, I mean, as soon as I, I did make it back to Paris, okay, all was good. But then, you know, of course, the reality set in that all the rest of my races were canceled. And, you know, I had been planning for a while. I was working with um, a French filmmaker who was going to produce a documentary on my last race. And so we had basically just secured all the funding for this documentary. He was going to follow me to Nepal. And my last race was supposed to be on Everest. So... Of course, all these plans fell through, but you know, I honestly found very little time to to feel sorry for myself because, yeah, I mean, we're all going through this together, and you know, I feel incredibly lucky and privileged to to have you know even just have a home to be in confinement in um, mm -hmm. and to not be worried about all the very big things right now. And, um, and so I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm planning a big around the world virtual marathon now to count as my 29th race um, at the end of May. So I'm really trying to make some strong lemon lemonade out of lemons mm -hmm. for sure. Um, before we get into this virtual marathon that I want to talk about, yes. the planning for all of this, I think yes. people people maybe see the story, hear about it, and yes. I think the automatic reaction is like, oh, like that sounds cool, but there's a lot of background that goes into this, even like you were saying with the yes. documentary, um, like securing funding for a documentary, all that kind of stuff. Um, yes. How, how, how did you get started with like the planning and especially kind oh of at first? <laughs> yes. That the planning that it went that was involved with this project is just, I mean, it honestly was a logistical nightmare. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even when it came down to, so when I decided to take on Wrench Reach, I had two months to plan everything before just starting. Like, I think I started the project in October, November, and then I left, everything started in January of last year. So um, even choosing all the different NGOs, I mean, it took quite a lot of time because I really wanted to make sure that I was going to be working with, um, you know, NGOs that, you know, all women-focused NGOs, but were really transparent in their actions and sort of fit all these different criteria that I set for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, But in terms of planning the trips, um, 
I mean, it's just even going back to when I started this project, I also thought, hey, it would be it's going to be really easy to find sponsors because this is a great idea. And, you know, I was just I was truly naive about so many things. And in retrospect, like, I don't know if I would have still I mean, <laughs> I'm so happy to have done Rent Reach and, you know, it's still ongoing now. But like there were so many points during last year where I wanted to give up. Um, it just the financial stress of planning all the trips was just it was really all consuming and um, also just took a lot of the fun out of the trips. Like mm-hmm. I think yeah, I think if you look look on my Instagram, it's like, oh, you know, Liz is just going around the world and running all these amazing marathons, but it truly was was really stressful planning everything and and promoting my project and and at the same time I it's not like I really started from zero I had zero followers I had zero credibility and the project started to get really exciting once I actually you know had something to show people but at the very beginning I, I had very little I just had this idea that you know just to present and um so it really has been a whole long process uh but but yeah the the planning everything behind the scenes it's and it's it's something that I still find hard to communicate to people about like it's because at at the end of the day what people want to see is like the exciting part and the travel um and you don't want to be like oh I'm you know stuck on my computer for 12 hours today and and that's honestly what a lot of this project has been as well and the funny thing is too like I even think I was in better shape before I started (laughs) run to reach which is like it's a crazy thing like people are like oh my god are you eating enough and it's like like really I you know, especially between marathons, sometimes I'd be traveling, for example, in Egypt or Afghanistan for two weeks at a time. And to be honest, I'm not really, it's not culturally acceptable for me to just go out for a run for a training run in between these races. So a lot of times, like I would go a whole month without running or a few weeks and sort of my marathons became my training runs. Um, so there are a lot of things that, you know, even when I started this project, I was like, oh, this is going to be the best year ever and like <laughs> such a dream. And, and, it, and it was like it was a huge learning experience and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And that's why it was so amazing at the end. But, but yeah, it was definitely extremely challenging at times. Yeah, I um, I've managed um, like pro cycling teams, and I know what the logistics look like when you're trying to yeah. book, you know, trips and coordinate all of that stuff. And there's yes. there's so much more than just the flights, right? You have to get to the airport. Yes. You have to get somewhere after the airport. You have to find a place yes. to stay and grocery of shop course. and all yes. of that stuff. Um, Absolutely, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, truly. Yes. Um, yet I, I will say, I mean, I also love that you did start from, from zero and build this, you know, following and people that are, you know, actually watching this journey, because I think so many people kind of think, oh, I can't do that because I don't already have this big following that will like be along for the ride. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was tough again, going, you know, when I had zero followers at the beginning, like I literally would send people messages randomly out of the blue, just, you know, I'm doing this project, would you please follow me? (laughs) Um, So it it really, it, it, 
you know, I think it's, it is fun to see how it evolved and progressed. And I think also for me, when I look at the beginning part of my project and just how much it's changed as well and um, how many times I had to pivot and um, yeah, it's definitely, um, it's been a process. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have to ask, your Instagram is beautiful. You have fantastic photos. How do you, how do you manage to get all of them and just kind of keep that going? So a lot of different ways. I think whenever I'm home, my poor husband, like I definitely drag him out from time to time. And he has, yeah, he, he's a, used to be a photographer he's really good at taking photos so luckily it like doesn't take too much of his time but um when I'm actually in the places you know it would really depend sometimes I would be traveling with a friend and I'd like ask my friend to take some photos um occasionally too I would reach out when I'd be truly traveling on my own I would reach out to a lot of local people living there and ask them if they wanted to get dinner and this was also a way for me to just again, meet locals. And, and I think because my project, it's like, has, you know, it's kind of this exciting thing. Most of the time when I would just message these random people, they would say yes. And, and through them, I would ask, Oh, do you know anyone who would be free for like, you know, an hour and could, I could just go for a walk with them, like in a certain neighborhood and they could just take some pictures. So it just like all different circumstances. I had to get really, really creative. And again, also because I was on a budget, like I, there were things that I knew I needed to spend money on. And unfortunately, like photography, like occasionally if I was in a really cool place and I was sort of tight on time, I would try I would reach out to some photographers and try to really negotiate a good price but um I would just have to get creative most of the time yeah no I I understand that feeling all too well except I'm not married to a photographer so I'm very jealous um no everyone has heard me talk about Peter's idea of like taking pictures is like not even looking in the viewfinder or like at the camera and like clicking it a few times and then being like I think I got it so (laughs) yeah it's it's definitely it it's hard it's really really people don't like I mean these running shots it's like you have to get the perfect one the perfect angle and the perfect Mm -hmm. hair flip it's like it's all part of it yes definitely um yeah the the weird like the there's so many movements in running that look terrible there's like one in like 50 that's that's decent it's a weird thing to be complaining about but i (laughs) it's something that i definitely deal with yeah yes yes Um, okay virtual marathon so i love this idea i love this concept that you're you're you know trying to figure out a way to to make it so you can actually still hit your goal and actually kind of even do it in arguably a way that is kind of a almost better like closer to this project because it gets so many more people involved so talk talk to me about it yeah so I got back from Yemen and I gave myself a week to sort of just like process everything Uh and reevaluate and um actually a number of my my followers on Instagram wrote me messages and they're like, do a virtual marathon. We would love to get involved. So it was actually, I mean, I don't really have another, like any other um, logical choice right now, but, but yeah. And then I just started giving it more thought, like how can I, cause I know obviously there are so many virtual marathons going on right now. Um, and so I thought to myself, you know, how could I really make my own different from the others and and so for the past week or so I've been sort of sending out some soft emails to runners in really obscure places obscure countries and so my goal is to get 
at least 500 runners from over 100 countries to participate. And I'm also really hoping for it to be as inclusive as possible. So I've even had a few people I've contacted the past week and they're like, oh, but like, I, I love running, but you know, I don't run a marathon or I'm not a fast runner. And that doesn't matter at all. Like, even if I'm asking people if they just even want to walk a kilometer, just to even get outside or even in their apartments, like there, I know that there's so many in-home marathons going on right now too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, for me, this marathon is just, you know, involving as many people as I can. And it's also just such a good way, you know, I think we need to come back to as well. It's a tough time to be fundraising and, um, but I do think that, you know, especially even a lot of the organize, organizations I've been working with, you know, they are on the front lines now as much as, you know, all the doctors and hospital workers. And so and they're doing amazing things. So I think it's also continuing to highlight their work and highlight the people that are really helping um the, you know, people who are most in need during this crisis period. Yeah, because it's not like all of those needs, like, ceased to exist in the last five weeks. Like, they're still very much there. Yes. So I think that is is still super important. Um, Can you explain what exactly, like, a virtual run kind of looks like? Because even I, like, haven't necessarily figured out exactly what the heck it is. Yeah, so I'm gonna give some. So I'm hoping for the race to be on May 24th, which is a Sunday. And you know, again, because we're gonna be in so many different time zones, I'm just gonna ask people when they do register for the race, kind of give me a ballpark of like the distance that they want to run or walk. And um, you know, I'm hoping. I definitely want to make some kind of video out of this so i'm gonna ask people to send just a short clip of them during the the virtual race and you know again it's it's mostly it's about obviously wherever you're running or walking it's about just knowing that you're doing this alongside people from from literally all over the world and so i think that's the really connecting force in this virtual race um and then i'm really hoping to make a cool video afterwards um i'm trying to i'm trying to see with my budget if i can get a medal that i can send to people at the end of it um but it's you know it's pretty open because it is virtual it's um I'm going to be giving like a set, like a number of hours that people can do it. And I'll also be live, I think, um, for most of the day on Facebook and on Instagram. So people can can tune in and we can all chat and for it to be as virtual as possible. But it is a little bit difficult that, you know, people are going to be on in all different time zones and and countries. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I think that's that's a really cool way to, to honestly end end the project because you do turn 30 on June 8th. Correct. Um, so if that's Marathon 29, do you have yes. a plan for 30? So the lockdown is lifted here in France on May 11th. And so I'm just going to wait to see, mm-hmm. um, you know, what travel might look like after then um i don't know if i'm going to be able to travel anywhere outside of france and i think i just want to see i mean they might like i might be able to travel somewhere within europe 
perhaps, who knows. Um, but I guess I think for now, I'm just focusing on this virtual race. And, mm-hmm. and maybe in a few weeks, I'll sort of reassess because I, I think for now, it's like no one, it's hard to even predict what's happening next week, yeah. let alone in a month. So I'm just I'm not worrying about it for now. I, I feel confident I can again, figure out something. But um, but it's it's just I feel like any plan um, I decide to work on now for the 30th marathon is just it's too hard to to figure out at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think there's something beautiful about the the solo marathon effort in your city, like on your birthday. Yes, that's true, too. That's true. But I mean, I I do hope even it's not a huge deal. But I think, um, you know, a big part of this project is to do the the. 30 countries as well and so even though this virtual race I'm almost counting it as like its own separate country Mm -hmm. even though I am running it in France but you know we'll just have to see and um and I am also for these last two races fundraising for um organizations that are benefiting small businesses during the the COVID period as well as possibly the WHO so I'm really also trying to tie in what's going on right now in our world Mm -hmm. as well with these fundraising efforts. So we'll just have to see. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So, I mean, how can, how can people support that? How can people get, uh, get information on the virtual run? Where can people find you? Of course. So, um, Will you include this in the show notes after yes, I can send you all the links? Um, my website is run to reach r u n t o r a c h dot com. Uh, my Instagram is run to reach, and that's where I'll be posting a lot of updates and and stories. And then I'm actually launching a separate GoFundMe for this final fundraising campaign uh, to try to get 2,600 people to donate $26 ahead of my final 26 miles. So, uh, so yeah, there's a separate link for that as well. And um, I'd be so appreciative of all of your help, whoever's listening. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be super fun. I'm, I'm excited to have an excuse to run 26 miles on May 24th. So hopefully some more people will too. Thank you so much, Molly. (laughs) I so appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, Awesome. Any, any final message you want to leave our, our listeners with before we wrap up? You know, I think now more than ever, we need to remind ourselves to live our fullest life and, you know, anything you've been thinking about in the past years, like a dream or something that you feel like a challenge you want to take on, I guess my biggest message is to do it and to push yourself um, and exhaust your potential and do that crazy thing thing that you never imagined imagine yourself um, you could do and you know I think for me that was that sort of been run to reach and this whole project and um, I promise you you will not regret it at the end and I mean now we're sort of in this very weird place in all of our lives and um, after this you know I think we just need to to do all the crazy things that makes life interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think most people right now kind of almost need that like bucket list of here's like the things I want to do. Yeah, you know, be able to start working towards them in whatever capacity they have right now. But yeah, definitely having something to look forward to and be thinking about is pretty important towards absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for joining us and and chatting. Thank you so much, Molly. Yeah, it was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor, head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It, you know, gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, And it's just, you know, a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of Other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week. 